And we're going to look at it through those four lenses of longing, of promise, of fulfillment, and worship. And we're going to kick things off again with a psalm of lament. (laughs) Have you noticed that each time we've done this, we've always started with a psalm of lament uh, that starts off with that longing for hope, that longing for joy, that longing for love? All right, my brother Jarius, where are you? I'm going to come on up and kick us off uh, with the reading of Psalm 13. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. How you doing, everybody? Merry Christmas. God is good. Uh, So, yeah, right? Uh, Psalm 13, um, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long should my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me, consider and answer me. O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep of the death, and lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him, lest my my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I shall sing to the Lord, because he has dealt my bountiful with me. Psalm 13, that is the word of God. Thanks, Jarius. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, it's just been so sweet, Lord. And um, I pray for the rest of our time as we take a look at some scriptures and sing a few more carols and take communion together, God, that you just continue to knit our hearts to you as well as to one another. And may your word uh, penetrate into our hard hearts this morning. And uh, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 13, you can go ahead and keep it up, Kai. If, there's probably just a piece of it, I guess. Never mind, you're fine. Um, it's a simple psalm of lament. Um, it's sort of a textbook psalm of lament. It has all the sort of the trappings of a psalm of lament. We have an address to God. We have a complaint to God. We have a request of God. We have a, God, this is why you should act sort of a motivation for God to act, and then we finally have an ending in praise. And pretty much every psalm of lament turns to praise. There's one exception, Psalm 88. Read it sometime. It's kind of intense. It doesn't turn to praise, (laughs) but every other psalm of lament eventually turns to praise. And this one turns dramatically to praise. Uh, He's He's praying, he's longing, he's, he's desperate. And finally, at the end in verse 5, he says, But, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And so uh, this hinge that the psalmist uses, uh, that he throws all of his eggs into, is the love of God. You know, he's, he's in this desperate place. He has enemies. He's, he's suffering. And then he goes, but wait, this I know. God loves me. You know, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And that word steadfast love is the word. 
It's the Hebrew word hesed, which is throughout the Old Testament, and it demonstrates God's faithful love, steadfast love, loyal love, constant, deep love over time. This is God's love. And for the psalmist, this is the hinge. This is how he turns his mind away from these issues, these circumstances, these intense situations. This is how he turns and, and on, a, on a dime he can go, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. If, if nothing else exists in the world, God's steadfast love does. And that can be the thing you cling to in desperation. And that's a solid place to stand. And this word has said, this is God's self-revealed identity. Back in Exodus, when God is talking to Moses, uh, this is the most quoted verse across the entire Old Testament. Constantly, the Psalms, the prophets are referring back to this verse to declare who is God? Who is he? What is he like? In a, in a word, in a sentence, what, who is this God? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Who is he? God provides us with an answer. In Exodus 34, verse 6, he says, it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, this is the word Yahweh, Yahweh, the personal name of God, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God says, you want to know who I am? You want to know what Yahweh, I am that I am, means? I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's the only one like that. We're not like that. He is. This is his character. This is his, you want to know who I am? Let me sign on the dotted line. This is who I am. You can take it to the bank. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, Scripture pointed back to that statement of God to declare who he is. And so this, this here, the psalmist pins his fortune on that. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. You said that's who you are, so I am going to plant my flag there. That you are a God full of mercy and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So this is the longing for God's love based on his self-revelation. He says, this is who you say you are, so I'm going to just trust that that's true. So let's see if God then makes any promises based on that love. We've, we've looked at the longing. Now let's take a look at the promise. Uh, my brother James, come on up, brother. We're going to read Zephaniah 3, verse 14 to 17, and hear the promise of God's love. Let's do it. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, 
The Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's a good word. Love you guys. So, if you notice there in that passage, uh, Zephaniah talks of enemies again. And he says, he has cleared away your enemies. And he's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to Israel. And then later he goes on and he says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The reality is that God has given above and beyond our longings. You know, sometimes we're just longing to be free of these circumstances. We're just longing to get through this next chapter of life that seems hard, that there's unknowns, there's, there's difficulties, there's, there's stress, there's anxiety. That's what we want. We just want a short-term, God, please get me through this. But he delivers above and beyond that. He answers our longings with a promise of his presence. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. Yes, he is a mighty one who will save. That's true. Yes, he will clear away our enemies. That's true. But above and beyond that, he is in our midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That, that statement, quiet you by his love, I, that, there's so many images that could come to mind, but I'm thinking of the one where there's a, a person of small stature who's really upset with someone who's really large and muscular. And the person, the tiny person is just mad and just starts like trying to like, beat up on the, the giant person. And then after a while, the small person just sort of, the, you know, the giant is just kind of standing there, kind of letting that person just hit them however much they want, however hard they want. And eventually, the small person just collapses into the, the bigger person's arms. It's like, he will quiet you by his love. Sometimes his love is letting you take every shot at him that you want. Just like the psalm that we read this morning. That you're just... Letting God have it, but at the end of the day, at the end of your, your words, he's still there. You know, he's still present. And that's his loving presence that's still there, that does not walk away, even when we give him our best shot. So he will quiet us by his love. But he doesn't want to just help us with our problems. He wants to draw near to you in tenderness, in celebration. It says, he will exult over you with loud singing. I wonder if God has a good voice. But it doesn't matter. He's just excited about you. Can you think of that? God is excited about you. That He, he exults over you with loud singing. And of course, Time after time, we've seen that the fulfillment 
of these promises, you know, of hope, of peace, of joy, and finally of love, the fulfillment occurs in the coming of you-know-who. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So Anna's going to come on up, maybe, yeah, if Henry cooperates, I can hold him, uh, and read the context of the most, not the most quoted verse in the Bible, but definitely the most famous verse in the Bible, which is John 3.16. But we're going to read John 3, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, you, know, you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I used to, when I was a kid, pick out my favorite PJs on Christmas Eve. All right, I want these pants, this shirt, these socks, and just like, because I was so excited, so excited. Weirdly, my favorite PJ shirt was like this salmon-colored shirt. I don't know what the deal was there, but it was my favorite PJ shirt for years, and I would wear it every Christmas Eve. And I was so excited to open presents. So excited. Hardly sleep, right? Last night, I also picked out my favorite PJs. Much nicer now. But I also had a hard time sleeping. But it, it wasn't because I was excited to open presents. It was because I was excited to watch my daughters open presents. And like, I could hardly sleep because I was so excited for them to wake up to a roaring fire and stockings ready and presents ready to just go at. 
Why do we give gifts at Christmas? It's because we love. We love our families. We love our friends. Why did God give his one and only son to us? Because he loves us. It says it right there. The the verse you've heard so often. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The simple truth of the first Christmas is that it was just a father giving a gift to his children. For God so loved the world full in this world. It was full of future sons and daughters of his that he gave his one and only son. Jesus was the first Christmas present wrapped in strips of cloth so that simple yet life-changing reality of God loving us that much leads us to a life of worship. You know, Jesus talks about it that unless you are born again, and John, uh, we'll read in First John in a little bit, but in another place, he, he says, Behold what manner of love God has loved us, that we should be called children of God. You know, if, if I can't hardly sleep on Christmas Eve because I'm excited for my six-year-old and my four-year-old to open presents, how much more is God, the eternal Father, the, the one who is full of steadfast love and abounding in mercy, how much more is he just pining after your heart? He's not looking at you wagging his finger. He is desperate for you. He is in love with you as, your, as his son, as his daughter, or his future son, his future daughter, if you have not yet entrusted yourself to him. And so this simple, life-changing reality leads us to a life of worship. So we're going to close with our final reading, um, looking at worship. You know, we've looked at the longing, the promise. This was the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and finally, worship. Uh, Brittany's going to com- come on up and read First John 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Love was mentioned 13 times in those six verses. God's act of love in sending Jesus Christ is the seminal act of love. It's the gold standard for what love is. It's no wonder that Jesus' command then to his disciples is to love one another as I have loved you, he said. It's the only response that makes sense. It's a love relationship that spills out into every other relationship we have. God's love for us in Jesus causes us to give him our very lives in response and to share his love with everyone else in our life. Whether it be the person you have a lifelong committed relationship to like a spouse or the person you run into on a Tuesday at the coffee shop. There's always that opportunity to spill out the love of God. You know, some of us, as we, especially as we approach New Year's, some of us have goals. Some of us are good at setting goals. Some of us are bad at setting goals. Some of us are good at keeping the goals we've set. Some of us are not so good at that. Whether it's start a business, finish school, be successful, start a family, all these things that we, we have in our, in our bones that we want to do. I want to suggest an amendment to your personal goals for this coming year. Make it your mission to every day more fully understand that God loves you and how much he loves you. And we need to look for no further proof than what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in coming to earth as a poor, vulnerable human being and over the course of his short life, 33 years, doing all that it took to reconcile us to God. That's love. And he's ours. And we're his. Amen? All right, let's pray.